What is the difference between good intentions and bad intentions? Now, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this program is called Bible Discovery TV. We are learning the Bible, and we're going to talk about, in about five minutes' time, this discussion on good intentions and bad intentions and how they relate to us today, especially in this world. Very good. Corey and Ryan are here. Ryan, what's going on? All right, well, today I'm focusing on the human authors who contributed to the Psalms, particularly the lesser-known guys like Asaph, Heman, Ethan, and the sons of Korah. Corey? Well, we're switching it up again a little bit today. We did this last week as well, but Mom and I were actually combining our segment times because we want to open it up to a table discussion uh, based off of something that David says in Psalm 26 about the temple of God that I find interesting and puzzling. All right, very good. Look forward to that. Open up your Bible guide and let's discover what God says. Psalm 26 Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations I will bless the Lord. Psalm 26 Psalm chapter 24, 25, 26, 27, and 28. That's what we're reading today as we go through the Bible. The book of Psalms is a great book. Absolutely. Now, vindication means to clear a person of false charges laid against them, such as from an accusation, an imputation, or a suspicion, or the like. Psalm 26 is a song written by David, God's anointed choice king, when everyone was coming against him. David desired to be vindicated. In the first and second Kings, we read about the terribly evil Queen Jezebel, who was married to Ahab, the evil king of northern Israel. She conspired against a man named Nabal, creating a narrative about him that was completely a lie, totally untrue. Well, Naboth was wrongly accused of cursing God and acting sinfully. 
Jezebel paid men to confront and accuse Naboth of these charges at a city meeting. As a result, they took Naboth and they killed him. Now, this enabled King Ahab the right to gain Naboth's vineyard, which is what he wanted. Our best hope is not to seek vindication in this life, but for our name to be cleared by the judge of everyone. That would be Jesus Christ. He will vindicate you by the power of his precious blood. And I believe that with all my heart. And let me tell you something. There is coming a time when God is going to vindicate. He's going to judge the earth according to Revelation chapter 19. That's what the word of God says, and that's what I believe. Now, that's fascinating. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage as we look at vindication from Psalm 26. If you don't have a Bible guide, you know my question. Why not write for yours today or call us? We'll send it to you. That's faster. But the fastest way is to go to Bible Discovery TV. Click on it. It'll take you to a donate page. Let me say thank you so much for your donations. We really appreciate them. They help us tremendously. And it takes you to a place where you can download the entire Bible guide as we printed it. And you can have it on your computer, use it wherever you want or whatever for that month. Very good. This is important. We need to pray and we need to ask God to help us understand this. So Father, we come to you today and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. That is the Messiah of the Anointed One. Salvation, Messiah. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear what you say, because we need to understand this vindication idea. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen and amen. Now, let's look at the first verse, because this is important. Psalm 26, 1 through 5. Here is the first verse. Vindicate me, O Lord, vindicate me, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes. And I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. This is amazing. Let me tell you, there is a difference between good and evil intentions. A big difference. God saves those who seek after him and who follow in his footsteps. Beloved, keep in mind that God is going to help us to follow him. He's going to, as we seek God, he's going to, it, it's not going to be easy because there's going to be people that try to stop us. But God empowers us with divine spirit inside of us called the Holy Spirit. And, and we're able to do things that seem incredible. Because God calls us to do those things, we need to do them. And God understands that he's called us to do the impossible. That's why he makes it possible through his Holy Spirit. It's very interesting. Now let's go on to the scripture and learn some more about this. Psalm 26, verse 6 through 8 says, I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all of your wonderful, wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house 
and the place where your glory dwells. Did you hear what he said? People are selfless when they glorify God. Now understand this. I want you to get this. People are selfless when they glorify God. There is fellowship with those who serve the Lord with all their heart. You know, there are people, we've discussed this over the past couple of years with the pandemic and everything, and people talked about fellowship, where we separated people. Let me tell you something about fellowship. Fellowship is not only friendship. Fellowship is including God. So when I come to church and I meet with somebody, how you doing this week and all of that, they begin to talk and we find out they have a problem. I say, well, let's pray in Jesus' name. Right there on the spot we pray. That's fellowship. When you can go to the divine mind and introduce him to the problem and the two of you can pray together. Anything else is simple friendship. But fellowship includes Jesus Christ, beloved. Fellowship is important. Really, really important. So let's keep our mind focused on that and understand there's a difference between friendship and fellowship. Fellowship is much more intense and it's wonderful. All right, let's go on to the next scripture. Psalm chapter 26, verse nine. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity, redeem me and be merciful to me, my foot stands in an even place. In the congregations, I will bless the Lord. Now, this is important. Listen carefully. If we keep ourselves right with God, then we will stand. If we keep ourselves right with God, we will stand. We should always seek the Lord our God, and we will be saved in his presence. There's something about the presence of God. There's something about the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know what the Holy Spirit of God is? It's the presence of God. Praise God. In the presence of God, suddenly we're not dominated by physical. We're not taken over by our emotions, but our spirits are telling the truth to God. And that's what the Psalms does. That's what praying in the spirit is. When we take the Psalms and we inculcate it into our spirit and we say, Lord, these are your words, but I want them to be mine too. Oh my goodness. Dear beloved, the Lord loves that. When we take his word and make it our words, that's what God is trying to do. He's trying to help us to do. So may we today understand that. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to make your words our words because we need to go in the path that you've called us to. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. But a lie is when somebody tells you, I know how you'll be happy. You buy this hairspray and you're gonna be happy. You smell like this flower, you're gonna be happy. You take this drug, you're gonna be happy. You buy this car, you're gonna be happy. See, it all tells me I'm gonna be happy. No, I'm not. That's not how this works. The truth is that I am not happy until I find the purpose of why I exist. 
my purpose for living. Welcome back to the program. Now, we're a few days into the Psalms, and most of us are aware that David is the main writer of the Psalms. But today, I want to focus on some of the other contributors. Of course, guys like Solomon and Moses need no introduction, but what about people like Asaph, Heman, Ethan, and the sons of Korah? Just who exactly were these people? Although David is the principal writer of the Psaltery, with 75 out of the 150 psalms attributed to him, other contributors include the sons of Korah, Asaph, Solomon, Heman, Ethan, and even Moses. While David, Solomon, and Moses are all well-known figures, a little bit more obscure are Asaph, Heman, Ethan, and the sons of Korah. Interestingly, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan were all Levites and the head musicians of David's massive worship team each apparently leading a temple choir, with Heman placed in the center. These three men also led in sounding the cymbals, and, along with their families, led worship at the dedication of Solomon's temple. Also, because prophesying in those days was very closely linked with the playing of music, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan were all considered seers, what later biblical writers called prophets. Heman was the human author of Psalm 88, and his position as the king's seer, as noted in 1 Chronicles 25.5, is certainly no surprise, since he was the grandson of the great and godly prophet Samuel. And Asaph, of whom twelve psalms are attributed, was Heman's associate, and was appointed by David in 1 Chronicles 16 as chief musician at the sanctuary. Significantly, as 2 Chronicles 29.30 shows, Asaph composed songs of praise that the people used in worship long after his own time. In fact, his descendants continued as chief musicians into the post-exilic period, many centuries after Asaph. Not to be forgotten is Ethan, called Ethan the Ezrahite, who is also probably the same as Jeduthun. He is the author of Psalm 89, and was considered among the wisest men ever known at that time, second only to Solomon. Also closely connected with Heman, Asaph, and Ethan are the sons of Korah, of whom eleven psalms are attributed. This close connection can be seen from Psalm 88, which is doubly attributed to both Heman and the sons of Korah. But just who were these sons of Korah? Actually, these Korahites were also from a Levitical family, with musical and other responsibilities at the tabernacle and temple. Their ancestor, Korah, rebelled against the authority of Moses and Aaron, and he and his family were put to death because of it, though the clan did not completely die out. Later, in the days of David and Solomon, they served as musicians and gatekeepers at the tabernacle and temple, and they were still ministering at the temple in the days of Jehoshaphat, more than a century after David. While it's not exactly clear what sort of duties were assigned to these gatekeepers, it is significant that the Psalms associated with the sons of Korah speak of the requirements for entry into the temple and thus seem appropriate for gatekeepers. Although it certainly seems likely that there were other contributors to the Psalms, Due to the fact that one-third of them remain anonymous, it is impossible to identify them. What we can be absolutely sure of, however, is their ultimate authorship, none other than the Holy Spirit of God himself. So except for Moses, all the named contributors of the Psalms all lived around the same time period. 
And as far as the rest of the unattributed Psalms go, we just don't know who wrote those. But we don't really need to know because at the end of the day, the ultimate author of the Psalms is the Holy Spirit of God himself. And that is very evident when you read them. Very interesting. Uh, good, Ryan. Now, Corey, go for it. I want to see this. I want to hear this. All right. I'm going to try to set it up because we're like we said at the top of the show, Mom and I are combining our segment times because we want to get into a discussion about something that David teaches us in Psalm 25 and 26. And in Psalm 25, David's talking about uh, sinners and and how God interacts with sinners who listen to him. And we learn in Psalm 25 that God instructs sinners, he guides them, and he teaches them. And more than that, we learn later on in Psalm 25, in verse 14, that the Lord confides in them, in those who fear him. Uh, he makes his covenant known to them. And then David says, my eyes are ever on the Lord for he will release my feet from the snare. So there's this idea of sin ensnaring humanity. But those of us who fear God, who respect him, who care to listen to him, God will instruct us, guide us, and even confide his covenant in us. Then David says, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. So he's asking for the forgiveness of his sins. That sets up for us Psalm 26 because David can say things then like, vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. He doesn't mean he's never sinned. He means that God has forgiven him for those sins. But then he continues on. He says in verse four of Psalm 26, I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. And now here's where I really want to go into. Okay. He says, I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, Lord. This is really interesting. He's talking about going into the temple, into, into, the, into the holy precincts. So he's not ritually washing his hands like the priests had to do. Instead, he's saying, I'm washing my hands with innocence so that I'm pure before you. And I go about your altar, Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise, telling of all your wonderful deeds. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. So he's talking about being in the temple in Jerusalem, that physical temple. So go with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19, where the Apostle Paul is talking about sexual immorality in the church and how it's not appropriate at all. But he says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So there's this idea of the temple in Jerusalem was a place where God's presence would come to meet with the people. Well, now after Christ, God's presence physically indwells his people. So we all become like the temple of God. But here's my question that I, that I, that I want to open up to the table here. I want to see if we can discuss what does this mean now for us, for our lives as Christians, now that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, now that we have the presence of God with us, what does this practically mean for our lives? How are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to do with that? Well, I, I mean, I, to me, uh, when you talk about the holiness of God, mm -hmm. this implies that God has, you, you, we're not holy people. So God has done something to make us holy. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And that speaks to me, 26th chapter of Psalms, speaks to me about the presence of God's holiness. And when we go into the presence of God's holiness, then suddenly what happens to us is his holiness is not dirtied by our unholiness, but his holiness is so powerful that it cleanses us. And so God says in the New Testament through his disciples, he says, be holy as I'm holy. Mm -hmm. So in other words, we have to stay close to the Lord. So this is the big difference between somebody who says, you think you're perfect and you're not perfect, and somebody who says, I'm a Christ follower. The difference is simple. It's not that I have to be or make myself holy. It's that I need to bring myself before God Almighty and I need to repent and I need to constantly stay in that state. Mm. And if I stay in the state of repentance, then God will make me holy. And that's very, very important. So when David said that, he's referring, in my view, to the holiness of God. When he says, you know, I want to be in your tabernacle. I love the presence of your holiness. I mean, that's what it says to me. Right. And that's what I believe. I think, um, too, as as if, if we look at it from... Um, God's Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we're literally asking when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we're asking for that dwelling, for him to Mm -hmm. dwell there. And so that means that I have to readily accept that that I need to make room uh, for everything. And there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that I carry inside that needs to be cleaned out, that needs to be swept out. And and I need to be able to allow God's Holy Spirit to do that. It's not enough for me to just say, I commit my life to you, I'm going to follow you, and then keep living the way I'm living. Mm -hmm. That's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. I don't live properly. And I think a couple of our, our clues here are in Psalm 25 when David says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. On you, I wait all day. Mm -hmm. So it's not about me going, okay, God, I want you in my life, but here's the rules. Like, I -hmm. like to do this and I like to do that. And, you know, I'm going to make room for you here. But but that's not it. Mm -hmm. It's an indwelling. It's, It's literally, Christ gave his life for us. He is our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. God had, God has already paid the price. Mm -hmm. So when I give my life to him, I have to give my life to him. That means Mm -hmm. there are changes that I need to make. I need to make those changes. And here's another clue down in verse eight. It says, good, David says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, listen to this. He teaches sinners in the way. Mm -hmm. God teaches sinners in the way. I don't tell God what I think. God teaches sinners. I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. Listen, the humble he guides in justice. And the humble he teaches his way. And then David goes on to say all the paths of the Lord. And remember before he's saying, show me your ways, O Lord, teach Mm -hmm. me your paths. Mm -hmm. Now he's saying all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such, listen, as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our yeah. attitude is very important, and that's what I'm I'm hearing as well. You mentioned, you know, David mentioned fearing the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the Hebrew word fear is it's broader than our English term. It's usually right. in our in our vernacular, it's negative. It's always a negative thing, mm-hmm. fear, but not so in the Hebrew. 
in the Hebrew, it can, it's, it can be negative or positive. And David's talking about this positive fear, this respect right. of God, because so many times, you know, people use, get saved and, and use God's grace as a license to sin. Mm. But that's not the fear of the Lord. That's not what God desires of us. He desires us to change. And that's, you know, his Holy Spirit comes in and, and helps us with those things. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought it was really interesting. Definitely. And, and also, like, when, when you think about it, another thing that I'm hearing everyone kind of refer to is this, this um, place of authority that the presence of God has. It certainly had, God certainly, his presence certainly had that in the temple, right? Where, where did the kings go? The good kings, the godly kings, when they needed an answer, they went to the temple. They went to God to get the, even though they were the king, they got, they realized that God was their king and they went to him for decisions, for important decisions. And when we become Christians and we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we have access to the highest authority in the entire everything. And how horrible would it be if we ignored that and instead decided to trust our own intuition or decided to trust our own deceitful hearts for our morality? You know, there's a lot of cheeky things that we can say. Like we can we can joke and be like, well, my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, so I'm gonna choose to give it this cake, or I'm not gonna choose to give it this cake. I'm gonna choose to feed it well. And there's I know there's stuff in the physical. I know that. I get that, that there's something to treating your body well. But what about treating the presence of God with respect by changing our lifestyles and by choosing to trust the morality that God has laid out in his scripture rather than trusting the morality of our culture? Uh, it, uh, that is based off of human experience alone. Yeah, and it's our gratefulness for him saving us because it's his work that saves us. It's nothing we can do. It's not our works. It's not right. our so-called righteousness because right. it's as filthy as rags, yep. right? But but just loving him and honoring him and wanting to uh, live the way that he would have us live. Yes, ordering our lives in such a way that it respects our lives then respect the presence of God. Mm-hmm. In, in us. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Interesting things. Interesting things to ponder on as we continue to travel through the Psalms of David and even are able to apply these ancient words to our own lives. You know, I've got a phone and I love because I can watch the program on the phone, keep up with my Bible reading and all of that. And I would encourage you to get the phone app. It's free, iPhone or Android or whatever you want, whatever phone you have, go to the store and search for Bible Discovery TV. When you search for it, it'll come up. It's free of charge and it's yours. And that's what we ask, that you read the Bible. Now today, let's pray. Lord, help me to remember that my destiny and always is praising your name, the name of Jesus Christ.